Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Gordon Doan, and today we're going to be talking about property voids and saying no. But first of all, let me give you a rundown on my week. So after a miserable week last week, feeling ill, I had my throat and ear infection. That all seems to have cleared up. My throat's definitely, um, the infection in my throat's gone. That's massively better. Um, I had uh, an ear infection as well, which was lovely. Um, and that seems to have pretty much gone. I still feel a little throbbing occasionally in there, but that's pretty much gone now, which is good as well. Um, so this week I'm feeling back to my usual self, back to doing uh, my usual activities and my usual routines. So that being said, I'm not sure what happened, but I somehow managed to run my fastest five kilometer park run time this week. So my time this week was 25 minutes and 11 seconds, which is over two minutes faster than my previous best time. So something must have happened while I was ill to speed me up a bit this week. But that was a significant improvement. uh, So I was really pleased with that. And it just comes to show that, you know, it doesn't take ages to get back into the groove of things when you recover it. You can actually come back better and stronger than before. So that worked out really well for me. So I'm going to jump straight into it. I'm not going to do too much of an update this week. Uh, I'm going to jump straight into it and talk about property voids. So a couple of people have asked me um, what property voids are because they've heard the word void and they're, they're not really sure what that means or or how to deal with them. So first of all, um, let me explain uh, what a void is in your property. So a property void simply is, is is when your property is empty. So it's a period of time that your property is empty. So whether that's days if, if you're running a SA, so if you've got serviced accommodation, so whether you've got kind of a, a flat or, or a house and you're renting out rooms on a, on a nightly basis, you know, a void might be a couple of nights when, when you've not got guest books in. If you've got, you know, a, a buy-to-let property where you're renting out the entire property, you, you might have um, a month empty between tenants or a couple of weeks bef- between tenants moving in. That period of time would be a void because you're not making any money in that time period it's just kind of a co- you've got your costs going out so there's no income so that would be a void all that time where people aren't in your property where tenants aren't in your property um, regardless of what type of property it is you know in a, and also in a HMO you know a house of multiple occupation there might be um, a period of time where not all the rooms are filled where maybe you're you're struggling to find tenants etc so you might just have three three rooms out of the four filled so that that last room would be counted as a void so that you you're not making any profit on that so that's all a void is um, just a period of time when when tenants aren't in your properties so how do you kind of deal with voids and, and what do you do to plan for them is the bigger question so there might be different types of voids depending on what property strategy you're using. Um, and depending on what property strategy you're using will depend how you kind of plan for those voids. So first of all, no matter what property strategy you're using, you should always plan for voids. I always, when I'm adding up my deals and stacking up the deals, um, I always build those into the numbers so that um, I, I can, um, so I've got a plan in my back pocket just in case there are voids. Once you've got started and and you've got a few properties, um, what I certainly plan on doing is um, building up a little bit of a reserve to cover those void periods. So to make sure, so from from the very first moment somebody moves in, you should be planning and kind of taking into account the possibility you're going to have voids in the future. So how do you deal with them? How do you plan for it? 
So with the buy to let property or any kind of property where, where you're renting out the whole building, just a single let um, is the phrase, the right, correct, correct phrase for that single let. So you're just renting out to an individual or a family and there's only one, one uh, tenant set in there. Let's talk about that first. So the uh, single let. Um, so the way I um, I would account for that now, each person has their own kind of, not rules, but their own kind of guidance that they use and their own kind of plan. And, and as you go through, you can develop this and adjust it, tweak it as you go on. If you're finding you're having less voids regularly than you're planning for, then by all means, change your figures. If you're finding you're having more uh, voids than you're planning, tweak it the other way um, so that you've got it as accurate as possible. So with the buy to let, it's more likely that you're going to have voids between tenants. So one tenant um, contract comes to an end. Um, it's un- usually un- unlikely to be able to get a new set of tenants to move into the next day. If you do, then great. That's fantastic. You've kind of not, you've minimized that void period. And that's the best thing to do is try to minimize that void period. But sometimes maybe you need um, a bit of time between the two sets of tenants being in there to do some work. So maybe the place needs decorating or something needs replacing you know maybe some appliances need fixing or replacing or the windows need painting or the walls whatever it may be you may need that little bit of time between tenant sets moving it moving out and then moving in again um, to do some maintenance but you want to keep that period to as low as possible obviously so you want to uh, reduce that time frame so reduce the loss of income as much as possible so always keep in the back of your mind that you want to kind of get those maintenance work done as fast as possible to reduce that number of voids now so when i'm adding um, when i'm stacking up my deals when i'm doing my deal analysis for single lets i always include the voids in on there and what i usually do is um, include one month of each year as a void so instead of calculating my profits based on a whole year worth of tenants being in there um, i reduce that down to 11 months so that i've given myself a one month backstop each each year as a void period now that has a nice effect so if you get through the year and you've not had that void period say the tenants are in there for a three-year period or whatever you've still build that one month buffer in now when you get to the end of that contract so you get to the end of the three-year tenant contract somebody else moves in you've got a little buffer of three months built up ready to go so so that you've kind of not got a stress and worry for the first three months because you've you've kind of got that built into your numbers already um if it's only a year contract and they move out then you've got a month to find somebody and a month is usually um ample time to to find somebody i've talked to many 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 people across the community now through um either the progressive community or um, the, uh, the other um, communities that I'm part of. And, uh, you know, if you if you can't find a tenant with a month, you're really going to struggle for that property. But they never really could stretch further than a month to find a tenant. So so that should work out really nicely. So now HMOs, uh, again, a different strategy. Uh, that's your house or home of multiple occupation. Um, so that's where, you, for those um, that are new to this, that's the way you've got uh, maybe a four-bedroom house, say, or however many bedrooms, but let's say it's a four-bedroom house, and it's where you rent each room out individually to a different tenant or a couple or, you know, to different tenants. So you may have four bedrooms and you've got uh, four different contracts for that house because you've got four different tenants in there. So 
the big the biggest way that you're going to have this void in a HMO is where you can't find the tenants to fill your property up. So say you've got three out of your four rooms filled, that fourth room is going to be the void. Um, and the way that I calculate this um, for HMOs when I'm doing my deal analysis is I calculate that my profit margin on the HMO should be at least the size of one of the rooms and usually the biggest room I calculate that on. So say the biggest room rents out for £400 a month, well my profit margin in the entire property needs to be at least £400. Thereby, if I've got one room empty, I'm still covering my costs and I'm not in uh, losing money. The only way you lose money is if you've got more than one room empty. But if you do your analysis right before you buy the deal or before you uh, acquire the property, you should have tenants lined up and ha know that there's a demand there. So you should always be able to fill and just have at least uh, you know one room empty. You shouldn't really be having any less than that. And like I said, that makes means you still break even. And if you've got the full property tenanted, then you've got the profit, um, which is the full price of the one room. So again, the same with um, SA, which is uh, serviced accommodation. So again, for newbies, this serviced accommodation is um, consider it like a hotel. It's where you rent rooms out by the night. So it's kind of um, your own personal hotel so to speak so uh, like i say you just rent the rooms out per night and usually people can go on to somewhere like um, booking.com or the equivalents of that kind of thing and find a room for a night stay in there and you know they can book it for three or four nights if they so wish but you're only kind of doing it on a short term a real short term basis um, and again your void periods on a short term on the um, serviced accommodation is your voids there are going to be when you you're, you've not got tenants in there and again I so I don't I'm not really looking at serviced accommodation I don't plan on using that as a strategy but um, if you look online there are some really good guidance around how much of the year you should plan on having your serviced accommodation tenanted and used so I think um, a good a rule of thumb is if I was doing it, I think I'd probably calculate it based on 65% of the time being um, tenanted and the other 35% uh, of the time uh, not being tenanted. So the 35% I would be calculating as voids. But of course, you've got the more the added complexity with serviced accommodation that usually your prices are seasonal and will change with the seasons. So or to do with local events. So for example, where, where I am in Cheltenham, the price of service accommodation goes up massively in the time of Gold, Gold Cup week. So horse racing is a big racetrack in Cheltenham. The biggest race of the year is Gold Cup. So everything triples or quadruples in price around that time. Hotel prices goes up, service accommodation goes up. So during that period, you always know that everything's going to be full up because there's a massive influx to the population. There's a massive um, amount of tourists coming into the area and absolutely everything gets booked up. So you know that that period is going to be booked for sure. But the rest of the year, you know, like I say, it's going to be seasonal. So where I'm from in Cheltenham, it goes quiet over the winter because not, not many people visit during the winter. During the summer, the occupancy rates go up again um, and as to the prices. So you kind of got to balance all that out. And with service accommodation, you've got to make sure you balance your voids in there. Like I said, if I was calculating it, I'd be calculating it at a 35% void rate. Um, have a look online and get some more guidance around that because that's not my strategy. So I've not actually 
calculated any deals um, for service accommodation, but that's kind of what I've heard that, that people use. So hopefully, hopefully that's helpful for you. So that's property voids and kind of how to deal with them with a couple of different strategies. Like I said, you just really want to make sure that you, that you absolutely do budget for them and expect them. If they don't happen, then that's really good and you've got some extra profit built in and it's better to have that extra profit than to have an extra debt from where, where those voids have occurred and, and you've not planned for it. So. I'm going to move on to the next thing. So the next topic, and uh, that is saying no to people. So what I've come to realize is um, as much as you want to, as much as you want to help people out, as much as you want to do things with your friends, as much as you want to do things for your family, as much as you want to please um, your boss, your co-workers, you, but you just can't do everything. No matter how hard you try, you've, there's only 24 hours in a day and you need, you need to sleep some. Um, so you can't say yes to everything and you can't say yes to everybody. So it's about prioritizing what you do with your time. So I like to um, think of it as defending my time now. So when somebody asks me to do something, is it I, I kind of run through a mental analysis of that and see whether, right, is it going to help me achieve my goals and my strategies? Is it going to help me with my relationships? You know, is it going to, you know, are my friends going to appreciate it? Are they the kind of friends that are going to reciprocate? So when I need something or need a favor, are they going to help out? Or are they just kind of friends or family that keep taking, taking, taking? Um, you know, so you really need to have a think about what you say yes to. Some people, especially me, I, I always find it quite difficult to say no to people, to turn them down. Um, you know, if I'm asked to cover something for somebody to, to help them out, I always find it difficult to say no, no matter how busy I am or how stacked up I am with projects and stuff. I always find it tricky to say no. So I've started recently trying to say no a little bit more. And when I say no, and when I'm say to start saying no I never just say no I kind of say it in a nice way and I kind of explain why it is that I'm saying no so instead of just saying nope can't do that um I kind of just nope sorry I, I can't do that because I've got these other priorities and I'm trying to do that and if I do your thing it means this is going to slip and this is going to slip and usually the person goes oh okay I didn't realize that um can, could you do it this way then and help me out with this and I have a think and maybe I can and maybe I can't um, so it's about kind of, like I say, defending your time and making your time count for what matters to you. Like I say, it's not an automatic saying no to everybody. You know, everybody's got friends and family. You need to maintain those relationships and make sure that everybody stays on side and happy and keep those relationships healthy. Um, so you should definitely be doing things for, with or for your family and friends. But just don't let those things rule your life and rule your day or rule your calendar. Um, like I say, defend that time as much as you can. Um, one of the options to do in kind of a business sense is um, is analysing which are your worst customers and have a think about, okay, so which are the customers that cause me the most pain for the smallest gain? So which ones are causing me the most pain and aggravation for the least gain? So that, you know, they're spending less with you they're always kind of complaining about stuff and just generally making life difficult. Um, those are the kind of customers that you that you want to fire. So focus your efforts and your energies on the customers that are appreciative, 
that are, uh, you know, repeat customers that are helping you out. Um, that maybe they're trying new products. Maybe they'll um, suggest improvements, that kind of thing, instead of the customer that always complains. Now, sometimes we're not in a position to be able to pick and choose. I understand that, and that's fine. But once you get to the stage where actually um, you've got more customers than you can handle, it's about picking the customers that you, that you work with, making sure that they're the customer of choice because although you want to be the supplier of choice or the service, you know, the service provider of choice, you want to be working with your customer of choice as well. And this is where a lot of times you might hear this in kind of business seminars and, uh, and conferences or, or uh, development courses, that kind of thing. Uh, people describe customer avatars and that's who your perfect customer is. That's kind of a, a caricature of your perfect customer. So depending on what industry and you know each, each industry or each each uh, company has its own customer that they want to work with customer types you know there might be one or two customer types that you want to work with but you should kind of keep that avatar in the back of your mind and kind of think um, categorize your customers into categories that match your avatar and don't match your uh, avatar so keep that in mind as, as you're kind of growing your business and developing review your customers on a, you know a fairly regular basis and I'm not saying every day or every week but you know certainly quarterly or half yearly um, at the least because yeah you want to make sure that you're working with the right kinds of customers and working with the right kind of customers is going to enable you to grow your business and take your business to the next level as you develop your business you should be developing your customers as well so that you're kind of refining the folks that you're working with so that it becomes easier so the whole process becomes easier so just bear that in mind as you go through keep in mind that customer avatar keep in mind that you kind of want to focus on defending your time as you see fit um, whether that's in in a, in in a job if you've got a job whether that's kind of how you work with your co-workers and your boss is defending your time there whether it's in your home life whether it's um, like I say at home when you know balancing the gym commitments to picking the kids up from school to doing the shopping to going out with family and friends all that needs to be balanced with each other and you've got to kind of prioritize the stuff that works best for you to achieve your strategy and your goals now sometimes there might be two really important things both take an hour um but you've only got one hour available so um which do you choose well you run through each of them and decide which one gets you closer to where you want to be in terms of your goals and your strategy for your life and and your business and and, and your personal life as well so have that in the back of your mind when you're kind of saying yes to things you don't always have to say yes so yeah that's it really um so in summary today uh, property voids absolutely 100 percent. don't forget to plan for them when you're doing your deal analysis before you acquire a property have a strategy um for dealing with your voids um that will change depending on which property strategy you're using so keep that in mind um in terms of saying no you can't say every yes to everybody um fire your customers if you need to but only once you're in a position to do so um and and defend your time so thanks very much to, for listening to me today i hope you've enjoyed it i'd appreciate it if you head over to itunes and leave me that review um, that'd be fantastic now stop listening to me and go build in your void strategy thank you very much see you next week